1: Good morning. Well, that's an awesome uh, bumper, isn't it? Wow, I just thought it was powerful. So if you weren't here last week, we started a brand new series called, called 41, and we're, so we're talking about giants. And I would say that uh, chances are really, really good that most of us, I would say all of us, but there's an exception to every rule, right? There's that one person that would say, no, nope, that's not me. But I would say that most of us, if not all of us, at some point in time in their lives, have, have gone face-to-face, head-on, with some kind of giant. And, and so if you face the giant, that means that the situation, whatever that situation was, the person, whatever the, who the person was, was bigger than you. You were outnumbered. Um, They were stronger than you. They were more powerful than you. They were smarter than you, whatever the case might be. And you knew that this person, this thing, whatever it was, this mountain in front of you was bigger than you, and you really had no earthly idea what you were going to do. And if you've ever faced that, then chances are really, really good that you have had your rear end handed to you on more than one occasion by one of those giants, right? And a giant can be anything from a financial crisis Uh, to cancer, Uh, to the big bully in the seventh grade. Big Burgess, that was my seventh grade bully. A giant can even be that voice in your head. And maybe, maybe for so many of us, it is still to this day, the voice in your head that says you can't, you won't, you never will because you never have. And let me just say that it's It seems to be more difficult when you get older, when you have more failures behind you, when you've never really found a victory in that area, then you begin to believe those lies that you never have and you never will. I got some great news for you. doesn't matter how old you are, you haven't seen your last giant. Aren't you glad you came today? That's good good stuff right there, isn't it? You're probably thinking, man, if I'd known that, you know? It really, it doesn't matter. Here's why why I want you to know that you're going to face giant after giant after giant after giant after giant. If you are a follower of Jesus, you're going to face the giants in your life because we have an enemy. That's the old devil. That is Satan. Whatever you want to call him, we have him. And he wants to do everything he can to stand between you, to put a giant between you and your dream. Doesn't matter what the dream is. He wants to intimidate you. He wants to tell you that you can't, that you won't, that you never have and you never will. Or maybe this is a giant between you and your God-given vision. Maybe this is a God thing. And let me just say, if it's a God thing, then I promise you it's going to be bigger than you. Out of the gate, it's going to be bigger than you. So the devil has a really easy time of being able to tempt us, to be able to threaten us, to be able to overwhelm us with fear, because you knew out of the gate that it was bigger than you, because it's a God vision, not your vision. Satan, to defeat you, will do all he can to put that giant between you and your miracle, whatever that miracle may be for you. Another bad diagnosis. Another call from a creditor. Whatever. He wants to stand between you and your victory. Between you and your second chance. And I said it last week. Who are we kidding? How many of us in here really would say, my second chance. Like, we're on what? We're, we're in the thousands now, some of us, you know? We think, man, I passed several hundred just, just on Monday, you know? And so you have that voice inside your head. You have that giant that says you don't deserve it. Who do you you think you are? Look at you. You're a loser. I bring up this whole giant thing because last week we started looking at this incredible story of David and Goliath. And it's it's like one of the best underdog stories of all time. And it's not just a story. That's the beauty of it. It's a real-life event. This actually took place. And this is the kind of story that in locker rooms where coaches of underdog teams will use this David and Goliath story to motivate their undermanned, undernourished, under-whatever team to walk out onto the field and to defeat the Goliath, the the stronger team, the better team, the better prepared team, whatever the case might be. And sometimes, sometimes in those locker rooms, if you look into the coach's eyes, you really aren't sure that he believes it either. You know, he's almost like, man, this is all I got. I read the Bible one time, I had a coach one time, they shared the story, it's a great story, but i got to be honest, we may get our rear end handed to us, but it's a great motivational story. This is the kind of story that movies are made out of. It's a great story. In case you weren't here last week, here's what we talked about the Philistines. Whenever you hear the word Philistines, it's almost like we should go, boo. You know, it's a, they're the bad people of the Bible. I mean, they were always the arch enemy of, of God's people, it seems. So, the Philistines had had their rear ends actually handed to them a few months earlier in this battle, and they had their rear ends handed to them by a bunch of Hebrew farmers. I mean, how can it be more humiliating than that, you know? And so this is like a professional army, an army that's been trained, well-equipped, had all, the right, you know, had all the right training, and they faced a bunch of Hebrew farmers, guys that maybe just a few days or maybe even a few hours before had been out in the field tending sheep. And they were like annihilated. It was a humiliating defeat. But now it's time to pay them back with interest. Man, they've been brooding over this thing. They thought, how in the world could a bunch of farmers beat us? How is that possible? And so you can just feel that this is going to be ugly. So they call out this group of Hebrew farmers and say, you know what, we want a second go, but this is not just going to be like it was before, maybe last time we were a little cocky, maybe we were a little arrogant, maybe we got ahead of ourselves a little bit. Maybe we thought it was going to be an easy, it was going to be an easy fight, but it wasn't. But I promise you this time we're going to be ready. We're going to be better prepared than we've ever been to face any opponent ever, and we are going to tear you limb from limb. you can feel the tension. And then what they proposed was this ancient tradition of single combat. It's kind of new to us. It's, it's a little game of one-on-one, winner-take-all. We'll get one person from our side, one person from your side, and then they will go in a, uh, to a fight to the death kind of fight. I mean, somebody's going to die, but the winner, not just the individual, but the whole army, the country, the nation that's represented by that one man, they win too. I have to admit Sounds like a pretty cool plan. Sounds like a pretty cool plan if you know that you have the superior man, right? Sounds like a pretty cool plan because, you know what, it avoids useless bloodshed. I mean, time, thousands of lives maybe could be saved by this plan of attack. But it only worked if somebody was willing to step up to the plate. It only worked if somebody from both teams said, Captain, I'm ready. King, I'm ready to fight for my country. I'm ready to fight for you. I'm ready to fight for my God. So the big question here, the Philistines are, have thrown out the gauntlet. They've said, here's what we're going to do. Now, who's willing, who's willing? Who's ready to fight? And If you weren't here last week, so far, nobody's been willing to stand up to the plate for Israel. Remember this verse from last week? Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now, why were they dismayed and terrified? They were dismayed and terrified of the nine foot nine inch, or maybe maybe it was at somewhere between eight and a half and feet and nine and a nine foot nine inch tall giant. There's all really you should read it because there's all kinds of great theologians, great minds that want to be able to take the language, want to be able to take the culture, want to be able to pick it apart to try to discover exactly how big this this giant really was, and they all have. You know pretty good reasons for why they believe what they believe. One guy even said, "You know what I don't think he was eight foot five, I don't think he was nine foot nine. I think he was probably closer to six foot nine, and he gave his reasons and One of the reasons that he gave was because the average height in that day of an Israelite was probably somewhere between the neighborhood of a five foot five inches tall, which is weird. I just think why not?" That's a lot funnier than some of you even know. <laughs> so where do they come up with these kinds of things? I'm not really sure, but the, thing of the, uh, the, thing, the point of the story is this. It's not whether he's 9 foot 9 inches, 8 foot 5 inches, or whether he's 6 foot 9 inches. The point of the story is for these men, these smaller men, who they faced was a giant. So maybe, maybe they're thinking, It's a pretty good plan. It's a pretty good plan. I know everybody doesn't have to die, but it sure looks like somebody's got to die, and I don't want the somebody to be me. And so nobody, for 40 days, nobody was willing to step up to the plate. So let's jump into the story. Now David was a son of an Aetherthite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time he was very old. Jesse's Three oldest sons had followed Saul to war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadad, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David, little David, little knobby-kneed, pimpled face David, went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. I love this story. I love this story. And I love this story because, like, David was the least likely. I mean, nobody, he, was on, he wasn't on anybody's radar. David wasn't on a single list of potential people, potential men, potential boys, potential candidates that could step up to Goliath. Let's be honest. He's not even in the army at all. In fact, he's back home. I mean, he's just back home. And he's not just back home, but he's back home and he's tending his father's sheep. I mean, nobody was looking for David. Nobody thought that David could do it. He had no potential. There was nobody who ever said, let's go get David to fight Goliath. I mean, David's the man. I mean, he's bad to the bone. He's the baddest of the bad. He's the strongest of the strong. There were no cheers. Go, David. Go, David. Go. I mean, nobody. He had nothing. His own dad didn't even pick him. His own dad. Now, I thought about this, and I thought, well, maybe, maybe it's because maybe his dad didn't see him as a loser. I mean, you know, that's, that seems to be what the case might be, but, but maybe there's something else. Maybe he looked at David and said, you know, because of your, because of your future, because of your future as the king of Israel, I mean, i got to protect you. Maybe that was it. But as you kind of weed through the story, you think, no, it really wasn't that it at all. It's that his own dad did not look at him and couldn't see any potential. He didn't see any courage. He didn't see any strength. He didn't see any wisdom, any ability to fight. He saw nothing in him. I love this story because he's a nobody. And I love this story because I have walked in those shoes. I remember when we started Springwell Church, I I, I remember I would meet with different people. and, And I literally, I literally didn't have a single solitary person of power and authority that ever walked over to me, ever put their arm around me and said, you know what, son, this sounds like a great idea. In fact, can I be honest with you? Every single person in our denomination that I went to said, you know what, i got to be honest, I don't think a church like this will work in Greer. So we moved to Taylor's. (laughs) (laughs) That's a hoot right there. I don't care who you are. I know what it's like to be the last one chosen. Are you with me? And I guess it's kind of easy, you know, to kind of get lost in the crowd when you're the youngest of eight. You know, I can imagine what it would be like as a father to have eight children. And as bad as I am with names, I'd probably forget their names sometime and say, hey. Yeah, whoever you are, whatever you, mom, your mama named you, you know, stop. I, I'm pretty sure it's easy to be forgotten, so... So his brothers had more prestigious duties, such as serving the king and the Israelite army. And David, man, he was just left home to tend stinking sheep. But this is not actually this is what I love about the story of David. I got to be honest. I think probably in in a couple weeks I'm gonna come back and do another couple messages on David because I just got so much into his story, and then I think we're going to come back next year and do a whole series on his life, because his life is just this up-and-down, roller coaster kind of life. It's a life of great victories and great failures. I love his life. I think most of us at Springwell would really love his story, because we're all a bunch of losers. Now, I'm just kidding. That's That's not it. This isn't the first time that David's been overlooked. Before David's heroic victory over Goliath, God had actually sent the prophet Samuel to David's home. And he was there for a reason, because things weren't really working out with Saul. And so God said, I'm going to anoint. The People had a choice. I want to anoint. I'm going to pick the next king for Israel. And so he went to Jesse's house, and he says, I'm going to pick one of his sons. And so Samuel did the logical thing. He did exactly what we would do. He looked at all the boys, right? He he, he looked at all the sons. He looked at every single one of them. He looked at their resumes. He looked at their looks, everything about them, and he said, you know what? Here's the thing. Based on appearance, based on size, based on resume, I think that the handsome Eliab is probably going to be the guy. I mean, he's the oldest. Just look at him. I mean, this man right here, this guy would look really, really good as a king. And God said, nope, he ain't the guy. And so then what Samuel did was exactly what we would do. He kind of just went down the line through all of David's, you know, brothers. And God rejected every single one of them. And so I can imagine that if I were Samuel, you know, because I, sometimes, I don't know if y'all do this or not, but you kind of reading the Bible and you kind of put yourself in, in, in there and you think, man, if I'd have been Samuel, i had been saying, like, dude, who else you got? <laughs> you know, is this it? M- maybe, here's what I would do. I would say, maybe, I'm, maybe I took the wrong turn. Maybe I'm at the wrong house. Maybe he didn't say Jesse. Maybe he said Hesse. I don't know. Maybe I got the name wrong. I don't hear too good. And and really it's not that I don't hear good. I just don't. I'm a little ADD. You probably can't tell that by just showing up on a Sunday morning. So sometimes I kind of drift. Like I am right now. Uh, So (laughs) maybe he's struggling. And so he he says, is this all you got? I mean, surely there's got to be somebody left. And so Jesse says, well, I've got another son, but he's like the run of the litter, you know? I mean, he's the smallest one in the bunch. I wonder, I just wonder, I know he didn't, I know it's not in the Bible, but I just wonder if he said, and he's kind of a loser. Why y'all looking at me like that? Nah, he didn't say that. But he didn't pick him. It never occurred to him that the guy, my youngest child, the pimple-faced, knobby-kneed teenager could possibly be him. And so he said, well, I got one other son. It couldn't be him, but I'll go get him. And so he did. And as soon as David walks up, the Lord said to Samuel, this this is my man. This is my boy. He's the guy. I I wonder if Samuel said, are you sure? Are we at the right house? Are you paying attention? And he said, yeah, I am. Now, so if you think that immediately he goes right to the palace and he becomes king, that's not the story. He goes back to tending stinking sheep. And his brothers went off to fight the Philistines. So for anyone who's ever been overlooked, For anyone who's ever been forgotten, I'm talking about Home Alone Forgotten. (laughs) I've been waiting for weeks to say this. (laughs) For anyone who's ever been lost in the crowd, what happens next is going to breathe life into your weary, lonely, last to be chosen soul. You ready? For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Okay, I was just kidding. This is not the good part. The good part's coming. I wanted to set you up because this is important. It's critical to the story. According to those who subscribe to this thing called biblical numerology, the number 40 is a really important number. Numerous passages in the Bible connect the number 40 to periods of, of trial, periods of testing. Periods of struggle, a probationary kind of period, and this certainly fits this story. So for 40 days, the army of Israel had heard Goliath call names. And I mean, maybe he's a giant. He's a giant from the land of giants. He's a big dude. He's a big guy. He's confident. He walks out. He challenges. But you know the second day that he walks out there, after nobody's stepped up to the plate the first day, you know he walks with a little bit more arrogance than he did the day before. Can you imagine on, on day 40? Can you imagine after walking out there for 40 days? 40 days. He's calling them names. He's talking about their mamas. He's talking about their grandmamas. I mean, he's talking about everybody in their family. And he walks with strength and power. And he's cockier than he's ever been. He was a man. He was a man. He knew he was a man. He was the man. He knew he was a man. And he knew they knew that he was the man. Did you follow that? He's the ultimate bully. Then it says, it's a great story. Now Jesse said to his son, David, take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread to your brothers and and hurry to their camp. So dad's thinking, you know what, these guys aren't trained. I don't don't know what, I mean, we're not like a professional army. I don't know what's really going on on the front lines. My boys are probably getting hungry. I want you to take them some food. But it's more than that. It's more than just I want you to take them some food. I want to know what's going on. I want to know how they are. I've heard rumors. I've heard rumors about this giant. I've heard rumors about the Philistines. Listen, I, I'm just concerned. I want you to go. I really want you to check up on your brothers for me. So early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of his shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse, Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry, which I think is like a hoot. I'm going, What? Now, maybe y'all didn't do that. Maybe y'all been in church your whole life, and maybe you just read through stuff like this. But sometimes for me, and I've been in church for a while, but I read stories and I think, what do you mean, battle cry? You bunch of wimps. This is day 40. Hello? Are you out there? I mean, this. so what kind of battle cry did they have? I mean, what was it? (laughs) So they all get together. They all go to the front line, and they, some kind of battle cry. It, it almost sounds a little bit silly. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking to them, Goliath, the Philistine champions from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. This is the 40th day. And he's getting nastier. And meaner with every single day. But something was different on this day. And David. Now who's David? Either nobody. He's not on anybody's radar. He's not on anybody's list. It's not like everybody went, "Whoa! David's here. Whoa, We're saved. You know? Maybe somebody thought, "Hey, somebody's going to die!" I don't, I don't, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what they were thinking. Maybe they were thinking, "He's young. He's stupid. He don't know any better. Let's put him out there." You know, I don't know what they were thinking, but I know that David heard it. And when the Israelites saw the man, see, this is this is why I don't understand the battle cry thing. This is why it kind of messes me up a little bit because I think, and they all fled from him in great fear. So, have you? have you ever thought to yourself? Have you ever seen a situation, a bullying type situation? Have you ever thought, you just wondered why somebody don't didn't step up? Have you ever just wondered that? I had Karen and I had a situation back a few weeks ago, and we were in a dining room, and and we and we were eating, and um, there there was a guy, a couple, literally just a couple of small tables down from us, and um, he was from another country. What country he's from doesn't matter. He was a big guy. He had a deep voice, and uh, so he ordered his food, and there were, there were two Filipino. Waiters that were taking care of him. And so they brought his food, and I, I don't have no idea. I don't know what it started it, but I just know his order wasn't right. And I know his order wasn't right because he's a couple of ta- tables down, but you can hear him. You can hear him complain. You know what I'm talking about. The, com- the kind of complaint that comes with a little bit of arrogance, the kind of complaint that comes with um, hmm, a-, a little bit of authority. You don't have any authority, but you want to try to find some authority. Like, I'm the customer, and the customer's always right kind of authority. You know what I'm talking about? And so the guy, this young, the young, the, the, the junior waiter actually took the man's food, and then we took it back, and he brought it back, and he set it back down, and it was wrong again. And things just, they're just, they just they were escalating earlier. Karen and I are just about at the end of our meal. And i got to be honest, I'm just getting angry. I haven't been this angry in a, in a long time. And, uh, and I, I just couldn't get over it. And so it happened a third time. And now, like, people... People in the restaurant, people in the dining room where we are. Now people are looking, and this guy, is, he is just using his hands, and he's talking about. So I, we, Karen and I got up, and, and so we were walking across the dining room, and, and I, I just stopped. I just stopped. And so the hostess has, was walking with Karen, and, and so she turned around, and she saw me, and she came back to me, and she said, sir, what, what's wrong? And I, I got tears in my eyes. And le- let me just say, if you ever see tears in my eyes, if you ever see me that mad, probably not a good idea to mess with me. I'm just saying. It's not going to be a good day. Maybe for me, but it's just not going to be a good day. I'm just saying. And so she said, sir, what's wrong? And I said, that man, I said, nobody deserves to be treated that way. That guy's a bully. Sir, it's, o- it's okay. And so now she's, now she's got me by the arm. <laughs> she's trying to escort me out. Come on, sir. And I'm thinking, I literally, I'm not kidding you, I thought, man, I ain't been to jail in a while. (laughs) And I'm thinking, I could tell this story, my people at church would probably go, yay! (laughs) We're sick! But have you ever been in that situation where you see this thing that's taking place, and you just wonder why somebody didn't stand up? to the plate. Well, David was that somebody. He was that somebody. And if you remember, he was too small and too young to even be a soldier in the army. So I'm thinking to myself, I go back and I'm thinking, five foot, five inches. Dude, like how little was he? Is he two foot? I mean, I don't know. I don't, I, so is he three foot? Three? I, I mean, I don't know how tall he was. But if he was smaller than the smallest man... I just know he was the least in his own family. I know that nobody else ever considered him as a possible candidate. But God had different plans. So I thought about this a lot, and this, this is kind of a weird part of the, the message. What are you going to do about the bully that stands between you and your victory? What, what are you going to do about the bully that stands between you and your dreams? I thought about this, I thought, and then what do I say? we got to fight! That doesn't sound real Jesus-like, right? I mean, because we go, oh, as Christians, we're supposed to be passive. You know, we're, we're supposed to be, oh, Jesus loves you. That's after we hit him. No, I'm just kidding. Don't, don't tell anybody I said that. Oh, Lord, this is on the Internet. I can see it tomorrow. One little clip, one little clip took me down. But I would say that there comes a time. There comes a time when it's time to take a stand. There comes a time when it's time to stand between you and the giant. There there comes a time when it's time. So I have to ask you the question are you ready to fight? Still feels weird asking. I'm talking about trusting God and stepping onto the battlefield even when nobody believes that you can win. And and I'm talking about fighting. I'm talking about fighting. And if need be, until you are the last one standing. David, David, was that somebody with Goliath? Okay, so you don't have to be a Bible scholar. Honestly, as soon as we started, like last week, we started the whole message last week, you already knew the outcome, right? You don't even have to be a Christian to know the story. Again, this is a story that's told in locker rooms secular football for Pete's sake probably some foul language is thrown in there a little bit you know some people probably don't even know it's from the Bible they just think it's an old story David wins it is kind of funny that what they want to do is take this little guy and and Saul says well you can't go out like that I mean you're a squirt you're, you're the runner of the litter for Pete's sake. And so I, we got to armor you up. And so they try to put all this armor on him. And I had that mental image that you can't even see him. You know, it's like you can't see his fingers. You can't see his toes. He's completely covered in armor. And somewhere somebody says, okay, let's go. And somewhere you can hear that, I'm friend. You know, I mean, you like, can't move. He, you can't hear him under all the armor. And he says, you know what, here's the thing. Take all this stuff off of me. And you know the story he, he did. He did. He took five smooth stones in and in a sling. And he took names and he kicked some Philistine rear end. It's a sweet story. You should go home and read the whole thing. So here's the question, right? Where, where did he get the courage? Where did he get the courage to stand up to Goliath? I think it's a great question. And I know what some of you are thinking. Because you've been to church. Some of you have been to church a couple times. Most of you have not. But for those of you that have, faith in God. It's his faith in the Lord. And then God rewarded his great faith. That's kind of the Sunday school answer. But I think there's more to it than that. I just think, I think there's more to it than that. I mean, of course he put his faith in God. But here's the question. Why did he put his faith in God? Right? Isn't that what some of you want to know that have a giant standing in your life right now? Standing between you and your dreams, you and your miracle, between you and your whatever. And there's a giant... And he taunts you every single day, and you want to stand up, and you want to fight. You really, really do, but the truth of it is, is you're dismayed and overwhelmed with fear, and you can't move, and you're thinking to yourself, I've been praying. And some of you are thinking, 40? What do you mean 40? I've been praying for, for years. I've, I've been praying. I've been begging. I've been pleading, and God ain't done one thing to answer my prayer." So why did he put his faith in God? Well, according to verses 34 through 37, God in his wisdom. I underlined wisdom in my notes. I did it for me, obviously, not for you. God in his wisdom, listen, had seen Fent. God in his wisdom had seen Fent to send a lion and a bear to fight David in a couple of undercard matches out in the field when he was tending his father's sheep. Some of y'all got that, some of you didn't. That's pretty sweet. I see some of you smiling. The undercard thing. I was really proud of that. See, by the time he shows up for the title bout, wasn't that big a deal to him. I I mean, I don't know what it was like. I I don't know what it was like. I I wouldn't have a clue to what it would be like to be 15, 16 years old, be out in a field, and then suddenly there's a line. I mean, there's a line. It's a real line. I can't imagine what that would be like. And then my, my, my mind kind of went, to what father puts his son in that situation, right? I'll tell you what kind of father. A father that's confident, that knows I've got your back. I'm right behind you. Ain't nobody going to take out my son. I've got your back. I'm right there. But what if the son doesn't know that? I can't imagine what it would have been like the first time that there was a lion. And he threatened those sheep. And I wonder how many other shepherds would have ran like a bunch of you know scared little schoolgirls, and, and they would have been afraid to to step up, but David stood up and he stepped up and he won. And then there was the bear. And so every one of those battles that were orchestrated by God Himself prepared him for the big day, so he could walk out and he could say, "Yeah." Bring your junk on. I was just as scared the day that I had to face the lion. I was just as scared the day that I had to fight the bear. But I'm not fighting this on my own. In fact, here's what he said in his own words. The Lord who rescued me, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Wow. It's awesome. awesome. Here's what I want you to know. God never wastes a hurt. He never wastes a hurt. He never wastes a challenge. Ever. He never wastes a battle. Some of these, and I I look back, this is the sweet part about being old. I can look back over my life, you have no idea of the battles that I fought over the years the death that I've experienced the pain but every single one of those has prepared me for where I'm at today that I can stand today and it's not that the Giants are not in front of me they are this whole next campaign thing listen I'm telling you we got a giant in front of us we cannot do this on our own am I scared no I don't even care You know why? Because I know that God will give us a victory. It may be different than what we thought. It may look different than what we we thought it would. Maybe the whole purpose of this is not about the win in the end. It's not about raising $2 million. What if it's to get us collectively as a church praying together, saying, God, we can't do this without you, but with you, Lord, we can defeat any giant that stands in our way. And then maybe, maybe if you see us collectively as a church, that it will breathe hope into you that no matter what you face, a marriage that struggles, a relationship, whatever that relationship might be, a financial struggle, disease, cancer, whatever it is, is it your day 41. On day 41, David showed up and he said, bring your junk on, big boy. I got you. Because the Lord that gave me the victory. He's going to give me victory over you. Ha! Then he hit him right in the gourd. I don't know what giants that you're facing. And honestly, you may be tired. And for some of you, you're thinking, man, I'm on day 50. I'm I'm on month 50. I'm past 40 is what I believe that God wants to say, and I believed it when we started, when I started studying for this whole series a few months ago. God wants you to know that your day 41, your 41, your day of struggle will end. There will be a victory. Again, it might not look like you think, and what you thought was going to be a victory, that doesn't even matter anymore. It doesn't even matter. That thing is not even a thing. You don't even care about that thing. It's what you've learned through it. So just hang on fact, if you're honest enough to say I'm one of those people, man I'm, I'm in this probation period I'm, I'm in this 40 day thing, 40 whatever thing, I, I just know that I'm in a time of testing, and a time of struggle and I'm struggling, it's a time of struggle and I call it a time of struggle, and I'm struggling and if you just be, this, I, this is what I love about this church, because we can just be open and honest right, we don't have to hide behind anything, especially religion We're going to say, man, I'm struggling, and and I need somebody to pray for me. In would you just slip up your hand? Yeah. Sweet. So I want to pray for us. Can I just do that? Lord, man, I know what it's like, Lord. Lord, I face so many battles. i was kind of angry at you, Lord. I I felt like you orchestrated the whole thing. Come to find out, a lot of you did. Lord, you used those times. You always had my back, always. You you never let me down, not one single time. I can say that now, Lord, with confidence. Even, Even on days when it looked like that we had been defeated, that the battle was over, that the war was over, and God, in a miraculous way, you were there. And, Lord, I can just say that through it all, you are enough. That's a lie. You're more than enough. So, Lord, there's a group of people that are just, they're just in that time of struggle. They're in that waiting zone. And, and they're waiting, you know, they're, they're waiting on the victory. God, my prayer is that you will show up and breathe life into them. Whisper in their ear and tell them that you love them. Just do that. Lord, could you just do that right now? Holy Spirit, just whisper. Tell them. Tell them that you love them. Tell them you got their back. Tell them it's going to be okay. If your head's still bowed, if your eyes still closed, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, and honestly, you're just sick and tired of the struggle. You're sick and tired of the struggle with sin. It's, here's what I want you to know: Jesus defeated that giant. He defeated the giant of sin. That's that's the cross. So that's what Jesus said on the cross. He went to the cross, and there was this thing that stood between you and him. There's this thing that stood between you and your spiritual victory. There's this thing that stood between you. It's a giant, and it's an intimidation that you will never be able to. You never have. You never will. You never, because you never have, and you've never had any victory. Here's what I want you to know. Jesus, Jesus is your victory. So he died on the cross, and he paid the ultimate penalty, the ultimate price for your sin. And he's alive. He's alive, and what you feel right now is, is, is the Holy Spirit, Jesus, he's just whispering in your ear, and he's telling you that he loves you. And so if you're here, and, and you, you're not a follower of Jesus, and right now you say, man, I, yeah, I'm tired of the struggle. And if you're just ready to surrender your life to Jesus, then maybe you'd pray a prayer something like this. Maybe you'd just say, Lord... I've tried to be better. I've tried to do better. I've tried to get better. And you know what? I can't. So I'm just I'm just going to give up the battle. I'm going to give up the fight and just realize that you've already won the battle for me. You've defeated my giant of sin. And I know you're alive because I can feel your presence. And so to the best of my ability, I'm asking you to forgive me. And I'm just surrendering my life to you. I want to to follow you for the rest of my days. Thank you for your love. You're awesome. Lord, every day it seems that we face some kind of giant. It's easy to be overwhelmed by fear. It's it's easy for fear to, to be dismayed overwhelmed by fear. It's it's easy to give in to those emotions. So, Lord, for those of us that uh, are willing to admit that we struggle, I pray that what we'll find is peace in you. It's in your sweet name,
0: Um, if you could have a seat, uh, we're, we're, we're about to uh, wrap the service up, but we want to s- worship through communion before we leave today. Um, and so I want I to I make sure that we don't miss this element of the worship service. And so um, if, you, if you do need to go right now, you can feel free to, to go ahead and, and leave. But uh, I don't want the rest of us to be distracted uh, by anyone leaving. So if you need to go, you can. I know that we're running a little, a little late um, because we had a lot of stuff we wanted to get in. Um, but for communion, for those of us in the room that don't exactly know what it means, there's a card in your chair, um, that'll tell you more about communion here at Springwell. We believe that if you're a believer of Christ, uh, whether you call yourself a part of our congregation or not, you're welcome to partake. Um, but communion is two elements. It's, uh, as you make your way to the tables that are lined up across the wall, there's six, there's three on each side. There's six total. You'll find a cup and you'll find a wafer, grab a cup, grab a wafer. And of course, that cup and that wafer represents the blood and the, and the body of Christ. You see, I think for those of us, especially if you've been a believer for a while, we can get really numb to this time and we can just kind of go through the motions of communion. I don't want us to do that this morning because sin requires penalty. It requires a payment. And what we could have never done on our own, uh, we were destined for eternal separation from God because of, because of our sin that required a payment. We would have never been able to pay that. And so when we take communion, we remember that something beautiful happens, that Jesus takes on that payment, credits it to our account, and we are cleared from all charges. And so when we celebrate communion, we celebrate the fact that Jesus would be born he would step into dusty earth from his heavenly throne, fully God, fully man, would commit no sin, live a perfect life, stainless or spotless, stainless life. That he would die at the hands of man by choice. He would die on a cross, he would be placed in a tomb. Three days later he would get up, it's not a fable, it's not a cool story to tell, it's legitimate people witnessed it. People were at the tomb when he got put in and then they went back and they're like, Hey, where is he? Something's going on here. And then he appeared to them later and they knew that he was dead before and now he's alive. And so they celebrate that. And so when we take communion, we celebrate the fact that Jesus was willing to go that far to pay for our sins. And so what I want you to do today is I'm going to pray in just a moment. I want you to go to a station around the room. I want you to grab those elements and I want you to bring them back to your chair. There'll be an usher walking up and down with a trash can. Um, You can place your cup in there, but I want you to bring it back to your chair and I want you to take just a few moments not to let this moment pass by. I want you to close your eyes. Maybe you picture Jesus on the cross. Maybe you picture the crown of thorns on his head and you're looking at him and you can, maybe the spirit will whisper to you, I did this for you because I don't want us just to go through this because this is important. It's a sacrifice that was paid for us. And Jesus said, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your body that was broken. Thank you for your blood that was spilled. God, today we celebrate that. God, we celebrate that with, um, with an attitude of appreciation, but also an attitude of celebration that you did something we can no longer do. The only thing you require of us is, is faith, is to believe in it. So God, this morning we remember and we remember in thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. You can make your way to the closest station around the wall.